boy, we got a good one for y'all. This is probably the most excited I have been to do a podcast in a long ass time. Um, we are going to have you, a real you bonafide. You don't, do you mean that you don't look forward to seeing me on Friday night and podcasting no. with me? No, really, not really. Yeah. I, I enjoy the audience. Uh, I listen, I, I can deal with you the other six <laughs> days of the week. Okay. Um, but so obviously I'm a big fan of TikTok. Um, and, and the reason that I'm a fan of TikTok is because it introduces you to people who can tell a story from their perspective. And the algorithm is so fantastic compared to Facebook and Google that if you, if you just watch a video, it will bring you back, you know, because it's like, oh, hey, you were interested in this person. Right, right. And, and it brings you back and brings you back and brings you back. And um, so I've seen this in so many different uh, industries and topics that people are able to talk from their experience. And of course, here in America, we believe everything we think. And then we sprinkle that within with, with a bunch of stuff that we hear on the news um, and then you get people that aren't really interested to learn, get in the middle of people who are trying to learn. And so I see people that are, you know, Hey, well, this is my experience and this is how long I've been doing it. And then this is how I do it. And then here come the, the numb nuts in the comment section. Well, it's not how that works. And it's like, no, that's exactly how it works, but you're just too, I can't use the S word because we'll get thrown off of anyway. You're, 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 you're too illogical to accept that maybe you don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you haven't thought about it from someone else's position. So obviously, one of the the things that I was really, really attracted to our guest tonight, uh, her TikTok, because she answers the comments, you know, like, I, you know, I, 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 I like ignore them, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't engage. But she answers them and she takes them on. It, it's listen, it, it's you guys are going. You're in for a treat, okay? You're yeah. in for a huge treat. So, so uh, <laughs> obviously, let's let's thank our sponsor, Pittsburgh Power OPS, Max Mileage <laughs> Catalyst, for being with us now for about a year. Yeah. Um, I hope you guys are are letting them know uh, that their contribution to the podcast is 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 returning to them. Um. So. Uh, well, I don't think we had any previous business to deal with other than uh, other than that. So I have uh, I've gathered two clips that I want to use to introduce the audience to our guests. I call these the greatest hits. Um, one's like thirty seconds, and one's like a minute, uh, but they're gold. And this will give you an introduction into our guests. I'm I'm so fired up about this. Is going to be so much fun. Y'all get ready. You aren't ready, okay? Just trust me. You're not ready. Hey, how's your day? Mine too. Listen, I'm going to give you a piece of advice, probably the best piece of advice from one business owner to another. And I hope that you consider yourself that in this industry because that's what you are. Um, Nobody is going to care more about your wallet, your health, your peace, or your time more than you are. No one. So, You have to have your own best interests at heart and you have to know your lane, you have to know your region, you have to know your operating costs and you have to know your profit margin and you have to advocate for yourself and not accept any less. 
Nobody is screwing you over. If you don't know these things, you screw yourself over. So get yourself out of this victim mentality that anybody is doing anything to you. And if you really want to see the culprit, just look in the mirror. Learn what your rates should be and charge accordingly. Well, my brother in Christ, I will try to spell it out for you in smaller terms to make it a little bit more palatable and understandable for you. We don't owe you anything in regards to transparency between us and our shippers because that contract is between us and our shippers and has nothing to do with you because you are a subject of that transaction, but you are not a party to it. Why are you not a party to it? Because that shipper is not giving you any money. The contract is between us and the shipper. Furthermore, that shipper is not a part of the transaction between me and my carrier. There are subjects to it, but they're not a party of it. So they don't have any transparency owed to them there either. Now, when a carrier shows up to their location, their shipping location, sure, it's their prerogative on whether or not they want to disclose all that information to a ship to a carrier, but usually they don't. And furthermore, if the carrier tries to underhandedly go and find all that information out, it's considered back soliciting, which is considered trashy, classless, and it's also a freight guard for back solicitation. Now, never once has any of my carriers asked for transparency, and the reason being is because I treat them very fairly. I give them the rate that they ask for. In addition to that, I've never once had a shipper, not once, ask what the carrier was charging me because they understood that whatever it was that I was charging was fair because I've always been fair and also worth it because I work hard. So there's what it means for transparency. I don't owe you anything in regards to that shipper's rate to me. Not a thing. I owe you transparency in regards to our transaction and the shipper has nothing to do with that. All right. Well, so I, listen, uh, from from God's ear to my, I mean, from God's mouth to my ear. I mean, that that's all. That's exactly how we are here. I don't know what's happened to Chris. He's flown off the coop, but we'll Chris we'll continue. <laughs> <laughs> he had last minute. I think, I think he gave up all of a sudden. Um, well, Anique, welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you for you. doing number Thanks one. Thanks for having and, me. And you are, you can already see we have a couple of fans here for you. Can yeah, you see the, guys. can you see the, the chat? Okay. Yeah, I can. I can. Okay. I see Willie right. Nelson. Happy 420, Willie. <laughs> Related. <laughs> really? So, uh, obviously you're going to get some questions here. We'll be happy sure. to address whichever ones you want. And if okay. there's some there that you don't want, we can ignore those too. And, and again, we're dealing with some truck drivers here, so you never know. Okay. So uh -huh. we get, listen, we get a couple of trolls here and we have to sometimes spank them pretty good. So. I have no problem um, with that. But except for TikTok kicking us off the air, we have we have no limitations here other than what what gets us kicked off. So, okay. but um, well, let, Anika, let's start a little bit. Uh, you know, just so everybody can understand, uh, you you got into freight brokering um, uh, early in your in your in your in your life, and mm -hmm. so to tell tell. Let's just start out with this. Describe to our guys exactly what the role of a freight bro broker is and why do we need them? Why is, why is having a broker necessary? Well, I think that um, the answer to this question 
has to start in the middle. <laughs> it can't be a very straightforward. Um, a true professional broker is going to view both a shipper or a customer and a carrier or a driver as their customers because we're representing both. Okay. So a true broker, one that is going to be in the business for a while is going to link up a driver and a carrier that are, or a driver and a shipper that are right for each other. Mm -hmm. And when there's a whole bunch of competition out there, um, it's up to us to sell that carrier in the best way possible. So this shipper probably has a million brokers on an email chain. They have a shipment that they need to go from point A to point B, and they're sending it out to all these brokers like, hey, uh, find me a truck, give me your rate, quote it. And so what we have to do at that point is find capacity, find a quality driver, and make sure that we're not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. If this has to pick up at two o'clock, I'm not going to talk to somebody that isn't available until five. Like we weed all that out. And then we get the rate. Most brokers, um, from what I'm hearing from people in my comment section, already have a rate in mind and then tell the driver, this is what I'm going to pay you. And then right. the difference is the margin. The way that I work is I am finding the quality carrier and I am getting your rate. And I am advocating to that shipper or to that customer of mine why it's worth it, why they want to take it. Because I have all these other brokers that I'm competing with trying to sell their trucks that right. they have available to them to this same shipper. We're all, we're all trying to get the same inventory here. Sure. So um, it's up to me to put some bells and whistles on you guys and um, make you guys look, you know, like the sunny side of shit sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I'm sure that's the case. <laughs> sometimes it is. And some, I mean, you develop yeah. great relationships with, um, with your carriers, with your truckers. I mean, there have been plenty of times that it's been like a lonely weekend for them and they've called me and we've had a beer over the phone. Like, right, I don't mind right, if I'm right. here, I'm here for it. You know, it. you guys are alone out there on the road and, um, you know, it's a lonely place and who am I, you know, I'll sit and have a beer with you. You're doing a job for me. I'm hiring you. There's no difference between me doing that for them and me sending flowers and chocolates and gifts to my customers. Cause you both are sure. And no professional broker that is in the industry for a long time, doesn't view their carriers and their drivers that way. And Absolutely. if they don't, then they have a good six months to a year in it. Right. That's it. So let me, let me, let me summarize what I think I just heard from you, if it's okay. Yeah. So a, a broker is not necessary. I mean, a driver could go find a shipper directly and deal directly with that shipper. I'm assuming that's the case. Matter of yeah. fact, I know it is, but that driver has to take the, the time to do the job that you do. He's got to stop driving. Mm -hmm. He's got to knock on doors or however he's going to get that customer. Found payment. Uh, may, maybe back solicit or wh mm -hmm. whatever. They've got to go to the effort. And then after that, they have to maintain that relationship. Sure. Then they have to do billing and collecting and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, same with the shipper. A shipper doesn't have to call a broker. I think you said you worked in freight before you got to be a broker. Right. A, a shipper can have their own freight office, traffic office, sure. and find carriers. Mm -hmm. But it's a it's a lot of work for them too. It is. If they have so, a large, uh, if they have a large logistics department, if they especially if they ship to a lot of DCs and 
things like that, and, or they have multiple locations. Right. The last thing that they want to do is deal with 40 different carriers just for one shipment when they exactly. have 45 on their plate that day. You know, how do they keep track? How do they, you know, and they also conversely don't have one broker. One of my customers that has been with me for the longest time, pretty much since inception of my brokerage, um, I know I'm not the only one. He calls me. He he calls me from vacation to see how I'm doing. He, you know, talks to me about his divorce. Like, you know, I'm one of the family. But I know I'm not the only one that he works with. And that's smart. You shouldn't right. keep all of your eggs in one basket because I could mess up. And then where's he going to be? You know? Right. So um, it's good to have that. Uh, at the same time, though, like when people say or when drivers say, I can go and find my own shipper. And why don't you? Right. Because it's easier said than done, right? Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. not just that, not just that, not just the fact that they don't have time to do it. They're dealing with the same nose that brokers are dealing with all the time. Mm -hmm. Because if a broker isn't hearing, I don't use brokers, then a carrier is definitely hearing, I go with brokers. I don't, yeah, I don't use, yeah, I don't use carriers. I don't just go straight to <clears throat> carriers, I use brokers. Right. Right. So that's the hurdle. Like they make it seem so easy. Oh, I'll just go and knock on the door and I'll get their freight. Why hasn't it been done yet? So there's a value added service that you provide to both. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, you have the carriers, you have a relationship with carriers. You're going to hear a term tonight. We use a lot at Landstar. It's called build relationships. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we, we call it just being nice, but, but that's the term they use for it. Uh, and then, and, and the same thing, you've, you, you have developed a customer base of shippers mm -hmm. that now you can bring to the party for your carrier. So you're, you're, you're a, um, you're an enabler, I suppose, in a, in a, in a way, in yeah. that you provide a service to, but you have two sets of customers. You have, mm -hmm. you have your shippers, which are your customers and your carriers, which are your customers. Yeah. The thing that we find the hardest for people to understand, especially the, the drivers, uh, is that the broker is not their enemy, it's their customer, you know, especially here at Landstar where we don't really have them. The broker here is Landstar. Everybody else is an agent. Um, that's, that's the relationship that, that you form here to, that, that makes you successful at Landstar is, is not having to deal with the load board, not having to deal with the three PLs, but having a relationship with agents that have freight that want to do business with you over all the other 11,000 uh, we call them BCOs at Landstar. That's what their term is for owner operators. But mm. um, so uh, you know, we we find that this relationship to be to be very misunderstood. You know, and 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 now, and I said this earlier in, when you were in the green room. Now I feel like that this this that this um, relationship has kind of gotten even more intense because the failure rate for owner operators is so high right now because right. people who came in at the top of the game a year or two ago and, and bought a $250,000 truck. That's not the problem. The problem is you, the problem is you, the rates, uh, you're setting the rates, you're keeping all the money, you know, all these things that it's easy to blame you because it's easier than it, it feels better than having to blame them for having to make the wrong decision about coming in the, in the industry and buying a big expensive truck that they can't afford now. Do you remember, uh, do you remember that exercise franchise curves? It was for women. It was I don't like remember training. the name. I do remember the name. Yeah. Just bear with me here because I'm just going to make an analogy. So okay, sure. Curves, curves came out, and um, it was a great concept. It was just for women. People felt comfortable. There was no judgments. All that stuff. Right. And so it it was obviously a great hit right off the bat. So everybody 
wanted to own a Curves franchise. Everyone. And as that happened, the franchise fees went up because it was in more demand. Mm -hmm. So that being said, after a while, there's curves on every corner and the value goes down. Mm -hmm. And the problem with curves at the time is that they didn't pay attention to those market fluctuations and they kept their franchise fees so high that eventually the, the hype of curves fell off. People were not renewing their memberships. People couldn't afford the franchise fees anymore. And curbs went down. Curbs went under. Okay. It's the same thing essentially with trucking. You are investing in a business. And I hope that that's what all the carriers that are coming into the game now are looking at it as, as investing in a business. But if you invest at the height, you're going to be investing with way too much money because that's going to go down. The thing is, is that trucking is always going to be around. It's not going to be a curves. It's not going to be something that falls off and goes out of business. We are always going to need trucks. So it's a matter of, can you hold on? You invested at a bad time. You're probably losing a little bit of money. Everybody is bleeding out. I wouldn't even suggest people become freight agents right now. Um, just because inventory demand is so low that things are not even shipping. So it's just like this wind storm of problems that are making this bigger. And as a result, you know, people are going out of business with their trucks. Not only that, but a lot of them are newbies. The truck drivers um, sat during the, uh, the pandemic when it first hit. Their essential shippers were now considered non-essentials, so they they couldn't move anymore. So they took the unemployment, they took the $600 extra per week, and they sat. But there was still stuff that needed to move. Right. So here you have CDL schools that just wanted to turn and burn and get more drivers out, get more capacity on the road so that things can get moving. But nowhere in that schooling did they teach about business or economics no. or business ethics. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere. No. They didn't teach much about they, driving trucks. I don't well, even yeah. know if they do it now. <laughs> they don't. So, they, 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 don't even really, they really don't even teach truck driving. We, we, get, we get people here that have been in the business less than five years. And this is no exaggeration. I'm, I'm not extra. They do have, they have zero idea how to read a map. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, they barely know how to operate the truck. Most of them can't because they go to schools where they're taught on an automatic transmission mm-hmm. and they have an automatic transmission restriction, which keeps them from even working for somebody that doesn't have automatic trucks. And so it's, uh, I mean, we, it, we, and, and they, and, and the ones that go to the big fleets, you know, they're, they, they're just, they, they're, they turn them into non-thinking robots. Now, I'll give you a little example. We've got a guy that came to us. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I call them the hands and the fleets, the, the brain. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we had a guy that come, came with us. It was a uh, master trainer at one of the big fleets. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now mind you, he was 24 years old when he came here, 23, 24, 23. master trainer. And that's a key part of this now. I think mm-hmm. so. Um, so he's, and, and here we teach critical thinking. We don't have blanket rules about anything. You know, uh, every time you take a toll road, you better figure out if, it, if it's worth it or should you not, you know. Um, and so this this individual was telling us that he got behind an accident one day, senior turning now, and he found a way to go around it where he could make delivery on time. Mm-hmm. And so he opted to do it. 
Well, they, they, first of all, they criticized him, threatened to fire him, and they fined him $50 for, for going out of route from what the Qualcomm was telling him to go, even though he served the customer better by doing that. That's what the fleets are turning out, okay? Now, we're in the business, like you said, we're in the business of teaching the business of trucking. Mm-hmm. While, we are, while we have a business, I, you know, I, 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 I wonder about that sometimes. I scratch because, my head every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, I'm not from the trucking world. Okay. I mean, I'm from, I'm, I've been in business since 1977. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, what we do here to me is not we're we've been given the name lunatics. I don't know if you've seen that anywhere. Yeah, we I saw were, them. We, I'm we're, smiling a little bit at some of these comments. Hold the steering yeah. wheel and grind the gears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we were given that by a driver who worked for us about 10 days and quit and then said, you guys are a bunch of lunatics. And yeah. he said, I'm old school. He was 23 years old. He's old school. <laughs> so we, we just embraced that because what I found here, Anique, is that I don't do things differently than you do or right. any other business in any other industry except trucking. Right. Only in trucking is what we do considered lunacy, lunatics, mm-hmm. because it, we, we do it based on what makes a business decision. It's not emotion. Okay. Right. And, um, and so we have this, we have this demand because the failure rate for first time owner operators buying their first truck is, is in excess of nine, nine out, nine out of 10 mm-hmm. in the first two years. So we thought, well, there, there's a way, there's a reason for that. And it's not because they can't drive the truck. No. It's because they have no idea what their cost per mile is. There's right. no way that they understand what, you know, the pennies that they walk around and, and leave on the ground all the time because they don't think it's important. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, we set out to educate good company drivers and to, so that they can become owner-operators and not fail for those very reasons. And so we developed this program, and, and, and that's, that's kind of what we do. But the, the knowledge of, of business, I mean, I tell people, I have, this is, I have analogy here too. In trucking, if you're, if you're a company driver, uh, buying a truck is sort of like going from the 12th grade to 13th grade when you get it done with high school. You know, it was mm-hmm. the next step. There's no thought, do I need to go to college? Do I want to go to college? Can I afford to go to college? Which right. college should I go? Let's just go to, to grade 13 because I've been going to school for 12 years. And that's how, that's how truck drivers are. I've been driving a truck. If I could make my decisions myself, I could fix all my problems. And yeah. so they buy a truck, not understanding, as, as, as in your example that Chris played, uh, you, you didn't buy a truck, you opened a business. Right. You know? and, and part of that is knowing how to be in business, how to stay in business. Mm-hmm. And you deal with it every day because now everybody wants to blame you for sure. the rates. Uh, and, and, and I hear them all the time. Well, you don't have any expenses. What do you have? You've got a, you, you don't know, know what my expenses are. You yeah. have no idea what my expenses are, but it's, it's like, also not any of anybody else's concern because I'm not basing my rates nor my margin off of what my expenses are. I'm basing it off of what it's worth. Right. And, and, so, and, and I don't cheapen what I do. And it has nothing to do with the transaction. Nothing. Every time, listen, truck drivers are notorious for this. They'll get on Facebook and go, where can I get such and such done without breaking the bank? They always want to be given the best price sure. until they want to haul freight. Right. Then they want to be paid, you know, a ransom price. Right. So I, I can't, I can't explain. Chris, come into conversation. Here, so, buddy. Well, I have a question. Um, <clears throat> what does the term 3PL mean to you okay. from a broker's perspective? Okay. So you have... <laughs> This is, this is kind of how it all worked. You have these asset-based companies that have their own equipment. Okay. 
they have say 20 trucks in their fleet. And so now what they have to do is they have to find customers to substantiate having those 20 trucks. The problem with that is truck drivers get sick, trucks break down. And when that happens, they don't have the, the capacity to service their customers. Their customers get mad. Eventually, if it happens enough, the customer falls off. And now they have all of these assets and they don't have the work for those assets. And that's the worst thing that can happen for these companies is having assets just sitting there, not making them money. Sure. So a 3PL has taken advantage of that and said, hey, when that carrier who has all those trucks, when they break down, when they fall off, all you have to do is contact us. We can have it covered in five minutes because they only have access to their 20 trucks. We have access to 70,000 right. because all of everybody's equipment is now our equipment because we have the authority to do it. And that's a 3PL. It's a third party logistics. And that is essentially where all of the big name brokers are coming from. Right. Those brokers are essentially just agents. Mm -hmm. They're using the MC number of that 3PL. They're using the insurance of that 3PL. They're using the name and the network and their software. That's essentially what's going on. But in return, they don't have to deal with billing. They don't have to get themselves bonded. They don't have to get their own insurance. They don't have to really um, deal with any kind of accounting. The back office of that 3PL does it for them. So you'll have these agents that get like 35% taken out of their commission. Maybe they get bonuses at the end of the month. They don't get any insurance or, or health insurance or anything. They're independent contractors, unless there's mm -hmm. like a special program in place. But they are essentially self-employed. They're independent contractors. And they can come and go as they please, as long as right. they're hitting a certain amount every month. A true broker um, is not part of a 3PL. They have their own brokerage, which means that they have their own LLC. They have their own MC number. They have their own EIN. They're bonded. And they can, you know, with that, information they can get load board access and um, subscriptions and things like that. And they can broker the same way a 3PL would, but they are responsible for factoring. They're responsible for vetting their customers, doing credit checks, things like that. And all that headache of being a business owner. So, so it's very, it's very similar to a truck, uh, an owner operator leased to a carrier and getting all the benefits of all the things you just talked about with a 3PL sure. being an agent or being a broker and open up their own shop. I mean, right. it's sort of the same thing. Sort you know? of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, they're parallel. Right. Exactly. I, have, I have found in, in my experience, the closer you get me to the customer, the, from the driver's <clears throat> seat, the closer you get me to the customer, the better off we both are. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think, I feel like you could say that the absolute best relationship is shipper to carrier. Now, is it the, most practical? Probably not. Is it the most efficient? Probably not. <clears throat> but I had a dedicated customer that I worked with for years and years here, and it went through one agent, but I got to know the shipping supervisor, right? And, right. and, and still to this day, we have trucks running his freight. And if there's an issue, I don't have to go through three people. I just pick up the phone and I call him at mm -hmm. the shipper, right? We don't have a contractual relationship other than what comes through Landstar. So so having said that when 
when when a when a carrier, an independent owner operator who is a carrier, they can get set up with these three PLs, yeah. but are they at a are they at a disadvantage using a three PL who may be able to just throw freight at them? Mm-hmm. But are they going to have the kind of relationship with a three PL that they can have with you? So you see where I'm, see where I'm going with that. Well, the, that makes the sense. The three PL itself is pretty hands off, so they allow basically the agents to run the, the the business. But they what they have behind them in the back office, like the people in the three PL office, are not finding the trucks for you. They're not doing anything like that. All they are doing is vetting the the carriers. They're clearing them for use with a carrier packet and everything. And then if there are any like OS and D's or claims or things like that, they have a whole department for that. Um, I would say that it would be more advantageous for them to be um, in a better relationship with the entire 3PL because with that one 3PL can be 125 freight brokers. Mm. Okay. So that's more of a chance for you to get freight on a regular basis. But if you are set up with a broker from a 3PL, then you're automatically set up with every agent in that 3PL. Okay. So you work with one, you work with them all. You know, unless one of them says, "Yeah, you're not right for me." You can still work with everybody else. One of the challenges that we have being leased to a carrier Mm-hmm. And this probably exists in other, not just at Landstar, at other other companies that have similar setup. But we're probably doing 60 to 70% of the loads that we pull are direct shipper, meaning that's the Landstar agent set that load up with that shipper. But there's not enough direct freight to feed the whole fleet. We've got to have relationships with brokers. We've got to be able to get to brokered freight to fill in the gaps where there's not direct freight. That's where it starts to get <clears throat> questionable with the double brokering. Right. Because well, I'm be- getting, I'm getting there, but right. let me, let me, okay. let me take one more step before I get there. Okay. If I have a truck available for a load and there's not a direct Landstar um, load available, I need, because the alternative is I would have to get on, I would have to subscribe to the load board. I'd have to get on the load board, but then an agent, because I don't have the authority to book a load, an, a Landstar agent is going to have to go and get that freight for me um, from a broker so that I can haul it as a Landstar BCO. Um, because there's BCOs that don't understand, for example, um, Larry is an agent and you're a broker and I'm a BCO. Well, Larry sees a load from you. That's, uh, you know, you've got posted and he can't call you until he has a truck. So he has to put an advertisement on the Landstar bar for what one, what he thinks <laughs> you'll give him the load for and two, what will make the phone ring. So right. then I'm the BCO and I call Larry. I say, you've got this load from A to B and he says, hang on. And then he calls you. Hey, I've got a truck. And then he works out the deal. Yeah, well, what the, B- what the BCO doesn't understand is that the all that agent's doing is advertising, putting their hand up, saying, hey, there's a load. I want to try to go get it on your behalf. Well, they post it for $1,800. And then you say, well, look, I'm, I'm not paying a penny over $1,600. And then he calls it. It comes back to me and they said, well, the only way to pay $1,600. 
Well, I completely understand that transaction, but they th they call it bait and switch because they think the agent is lying to them, and the, mm -hmm. but they're not lying to them. They're trying to guess as to what one you'll do it for and and, and then and the BCO will call for because you know he can't come to you without a truck, right? So what the BCO is and you know they've been trained this way because this is how the industry is has has been for forever is they believe right off the bat right away that everything is a negotiation. But whereas you come to a broker like me and you name your rate, it's either yes or no. And I don't go back and forth. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm well, the, but the problem with that, though, is they don't think it's a negotiation. They think when if they see a load posted on the Landstar board for $1,800 mm -hmm. and they don't look to see that it says no for direct shipper. Oh, well, you put that load on the board for $1,800 and now you're telling me it's $1,600. You're lying to me. That is not what's happening. Right. Um, what's happening is the, the agent is trying to advertise to get you to make a phone call so that he can take that truck that is just called and then go to the broker and say, I have a truck. We'll do it for $1,800. And the broker says, well, we're not, we'll do it for $1,600. Then he comes back to me. Well, when I encounter that, I just, I say yes or no, right? Mm -hmm. I, I have the yes or no. And I say, well, no, here's an example. A very well-known, high-quality, high-profile Landstar agent posted a load that was a, it was a, it was a, it was a customer, but it wasn't a, wasn't a contract. They had a load from A to B. This weekend paid 4200 bucks. I saw that. I called. She was like, great. Yes, book it. And she said, well, I just have to check and make sure that we get a pickup appointment. I'm like, great. Call me back. Well, she calls me back. She goes, well, the, the pickup appointment's not a problem, but they only want to pay $2,100. And I'm like, no, because that was a buck fifty-four. you know? Right. Well, I wasn't offended. I wasn't mad. I didn't feel like I was getting cheated or robbed. I just understand that she called her customer and her customer said something different than what she originally That's thought was That's a big difference, happen. though. Like, you have to know what the range <laughs> of the lane is. <clears throat> You have to substantiate it. So here you have somebody in the comments here that says, I need $6 a mile because I have a $1,300 a week lease payment and a new Mercedes in the driveway and credit cards are maxed out. All you have is a phone bill. I never pull for the same broker agent twice. Now, by the way, that's our friend Rocky. He's he's, Hi, Rocky. Pretending, he's pretending to be the... You know, yeah, he, he he's yeah. messing with you. Okay. Oh, so. okay. I was gonna lay into you, boy. <laughs> oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Lay into <laughs> him. Go ahead and lay into him because that's the represent. He's representing the person that but, needs to but, hear what but you're saying. But that's a, that's a mentality. I mean, you see it all the time. I'm sure he's just trying to provide you that since we but don't have a troll tonight. That's so. a really good example, right? <clears> yeah. That's a really good example tying into what you were just talking about because this lady is saying 4,200. Her customer is saying. 21. So is she pulling a bait and switch or is she not? No, I, I think, I think what happened was, um, because you know, Landstar agents will have customers that they don't have all of their freight. So, um, there's a lot of really great, even now five and $6 a mile contract freight that, that Landstar agents have negotiated for us. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I think when she saw that load, she thought, well, hey, here's the rate that we've done all the other stuff for. And again, this is a really high quality, well-known agent. I know that I'm, it wasn't one of the guys in Ukraine, right? I know that, I knew she wasn't dicking me around because she called me back and she was like, well, there's a problem. The rate's 2100 so I told him to keep it. And I'm like, well, that was a good call because obviously I'm not going to do that. 
but the point was, I'm not offended by that because I understand that regardless of who you are, and you've said it so many times, well, bring me your rate. Well, if I bring you a ridiculous rate, you're not going to do that. And I love also what you said, and I want you to come back to this later, that if I come with a rate that's too low, mm-hmm. that you have to question that as well. Sets off red flags. Why? Right. Right. So, um, but a, a lot of this just comes down to truck drivers that don't understand how the freight market works at all. Mm-hmm. Um, like we saw, I'm sure you saw this uh, thing going around about the, some load out of Florida and the broker kept 75% of the rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it spread like wildfire. One and time. I went and I said, okay, can I just, can I just lay some logic here? Okay. Everybody and their brother that has ever known anything about freight know that rates coming out of Florida suck. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is not, that's not a surprise or a shock to anybody. Right. So what y'all are telling me here is that somebody agreed to do a load for 25% of the going rate out of Florida, which mm-hmm. means you signed up for a load paying 50 cents a mile. So you could wave this paper in the air and tell everybody what it, I'm sorry, that's just my bullshit detector was just freaking out listening to the story. Because even if you show me that piece of paper and you swear that the broker kept 75%, I'm like, 75% of what? It's a load coming out of Florida. Right. I don't give a damn, you know, if you had the, the, the president's kid in the back of that trailer, there's no, there's no way. It's bullshit, but it confirms their bias mm-hmm. and they're off. Yeah. I mean, do I think that it happens? Yeah. And honestly, has it happened to me where, I mean, in the, in the infancy of my career, somebody was like, Hey, I need to move a hazmat shipment from like Chicago down to Texas. And, um, it has to be a team and I, I can pay $10,000 total, you know, just get it within that range. And I posted it. And a team was like, I need to get home to Texas. It's going to be $3,000. And I'm like, even if I go back to this customer and tell them I'm saving them money by getting it at like 75, I'm making 4,500. And that's more than what the driver is making, but it's still under budget for that shipper. But that's the thing is that that's what Elaine's worth is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it. That's it. Right. Like if that, well, if you really want to cut down to the brass tacks of it, it's based upon what somebody is willing to pay for it. But as an ethical broker, you know, I didn't, I didn't do that. You know, I took a percentage. I promised myself and I told myself to keep myself honest through my entire career. I was going to keep a range of what my margin was going to be, you know, because that's a slippery slope. You will get to 75%. So if a broker gets away with it once, what's going to keep them from doing it over and over and over again before they start getting a bad reputation for themselves? And then finally, nobody wants to work with them. I wanted a career. I wanted, you know, a good 25 years in the industry, not a year before I had to find something else to do because nobody wanted to work with me because they knew that I was shysty like that. So a a friend of mine at at Landstar did a thing a couple of years ago where there was there's a there's a place not far from here that does auto parts. And they had these, you know, stupid rates. I mean, they were ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. And so he signed up for it. Man, he's home every day. He's making all kind of money. Well, of course, automotive does what automotive does. And they 
renegotiate the rates. And agent calls him like, hey, they're down to this. And he's like, okay, I'll do it at that. Well, they're down to this now. Okay, I'll do it at that. Well, then it went way low. And he was like, well, I like being home every day. So I'm going to go ahead and agree to this super, super sub uh, rate, right? Mm -hmm. Well, so he's doing it. And it's working for him in that moment. Mm -hmm. But then, like, his daughter got sick or something with college, and he called him, and he was like, hey, I'm not going to be able to do the run today. And they're like, well, that's too bad mm -hmm. because there's nobody else. Right. Because nobody else is going to do it for what you agreed to do it for. Now, he was mm -hmm. mad as a hornet, but they basically said, no, you, you, you agreed to do this, and we can't find someone else because nobody else will do it for that rate. So mm – -hmm. Like, it seems like if you're a broker that the same thing would apply, that if you lowball it to the customer, they're going to keep expecting you to get sure. that sure. that low they're rate. Gonna, they're going to want, and not only that, they're not going to just expect it at that rate. They're going to expect it to go down. And a lot of the times what they'll do is that this is why, this is why relationship is so important because a lot of the times my customers will come to me and say, you know what? You were not the cheapest, which is not anything that I want to be. I don't ever want to be known as the cheapest. Right. Um, they'll say, you know what? You were, you were more expensive than the other person that came in, but we need this to be done in a certain way that we know that you can do. If you were just on a, what, like a broker on a broker chain email with these shippers where they're just basically auctioning off their freight, they're going to leave you for a nickel, but yeah. they've also learned how to leverage that. So if one, if I come in at say $2,000 and somebody else comes in at 1800, then they're like, can you beat or match? And that's what's driving the rates down. Mm -hmm. We want to get you guys your freight. We want to get you guys your load. We want to get you guys moving. But if, if our customer is saying, Hey, you offered this, but if you can beat or match that, and then I have a driver and the other other end going, please just get me to Raleigh. You know, so if you want to go, this is this is what they're going to send it send it to you for. You know, but I don't play that anymore. If somebody comes to me and says, you know, this is what it is, can you beat or match? I'll say no, take it. And when that falls off because they don't actually have a truck, or you're mm -hmm. just bluffing to see if I'll lower my rate, then my rate's going to go up because my time is worth more than that. And I might've lost the truck and I'm going to have to find somebody else who's probably not going to do it at, a, at at the agreed upon rate that I've already negotiated. So. So Chris, are you done for a second? Yeah, go ahead. I want to have a little fun. Okay. Let's have a fun. <laughs> Here we go. So Anik, I need you to just, I need you to, to define the term cheap freight. There, uh, <laughs> there's no bad freight. There's just bad prices. And oh, I like that. There's, there's a, what one man's cheap freight is, is another man's, I have enough and I'm satisfied. And it's really just dependent upon, again, the whole curves thing. Like if you bought a truck at the height of the pandemic, when there was no capacity and they're charging you $300,000 for a truck and $175,000 for a trailer, and you're the only guy out there and you're making so much money off of this. And then all of a sudden the unemployment checks stop and the capacity and market is flooded again. You're not going to be making that. Right. Whenever, um, whenever I quote something, people expect me to quote off of DAT rate view or ITS or something like that. 
And yeah, that's, that's a good guide. But what people don't pay attention to in those guides is the capacity, the load to truck ratio. And before the pandemic, the load to truck ratio was pretty even. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic hit and there were no trucks, none. And all these loads, even though it was just like essential stuff, there were still loads to be moved. And so the rates went crazy. Like if, if you listen to anybody talk about the stock market and being able to predict if the stock market was going to crash, it looked like a W. That's what the market rates were doing for freight. And it was bound to crash. And sure enough, it did. So now we have this new influx of all of these new drivers with all of their new equipment in the six months between March and you know August, September of 2020 during this pandemic. And they're doing great. And then all the tru- all the drivers that were parked for all that time are now back on the road. And what's going to happen when your capacity when there's so much capacity and very little loads, those rates are going to go down. It's just supply and demand. But who's the first person that they're going to blame for it? So now that we've defined cheap freight, I want you to help me with this concept. <clears throat> if you guys would quit hauling it and leave it on the dock, the rates would come back up. Sure. But. Didn't that already happen when the cargo ships didn't make it into port? Didn't that already happen? Because I had three customers that had stuff come in from China and had boats stuck out at dock for four months. One of them was the product that they had on that boat could have filled three shopping malls. And it sat there. And so, but then on the other hand, you hear all these guys, nothing's moving, nothing's moving. That's right, because nothing was getting unloaded. Mm -hmm. And then you have warehousing problems on top of that, because some of the stuff that was on that boat was Halloween decor for Halloween of 2021. And here we are in February of 22, and it just docks, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? So what are they going to do? Send it back to China, or are they going to warehouse it? And if they warehouse it, then nothing else is moving. And if nothing else is moving, then... What's happening with your rates? All of this stuff factors in. It's not one person. It's all relative. It's like a nice domino effect. And it's really interesting to watch. It hurts our wallet, but it's really interesting to see cause and effect. So why can't then the trucker groups get everybody to talk, talked into um, parking their trucks for two weeks and making the rates go back up? Why, why, Why doesn't that work? Because if, again, a lane is only worth what somebody can pay for it. So if there's nothing coming in, there's no supply, there's no product, there's no raw materials coming in, they're stuck out on ships, which by the way, we're still feeling the effects of. If this material is not coming in, then nothing's getting produced. If nothing's getting produced, then nothing is moving. If nothing is moving, then you guys, why why are you parking? You act like you're doing something to them. You're parked anyway because nothing's moving because they they haven't been able to make anything. Well, so, it, but it, and if it, they're not making anything, then they're not getting revenue. And if they're not getting revenue, then they're not paying for shipping. It it but it goes to the very narcissistic nature of a lot of truck drivers that, especially these ones that are on their knees before Congress right now. Mm-hmm. 
um, they think that they're all that matters. They think they have this axis of the universe that runs to the top of their precious little head. Um, and I found it interesting when there were protests, okay, um, and somebody closed a road, right? We need a National Guard. You need to blow right through them. We need to shut these roads down. And I'm like, oh, time out, time out, time out. When, when those people over there were, were protesting and blocking the road, y'all were all mad about it. But now <clears throat> you want to commit the same act of violence, which is interrupting someone's free to, freedom to move about. You want to shut the highways down and you want to drive circles around the Capitol and you want to inflict this pain, you know, And because I've heard it my whole life. Well, we could we could starve New York to death in four days. Sure. That's, I don't remember it, though. That's New York evil. remembers everything. <laughs> that's evil. Okay. It's, there's nothing virtuous about that. There's nothing moral about that. So you're telling me that you want to starve people to death mm -hmm. so you can make more money, but the brokers are greedy. Chris, I'll tell gotcha. you what, uh, desperation is the stinkiest cologne. Mm. And what you, like that. <laughs> what you have described as narcissistic, I describe as desperate. And yeah there are two parallels that come from the same feeling. And so like here, somebody said, let me get down. I could really save customers money by cutting out the broker. Do it. If you really think that that's the determining factor for the customers is just the money. I want to ask you a serious question, Robert Hill. Do you honestly think that shippers don't know that we charge for our services on top of what your rate is? Do you think that? Or do you think that they know and they just find value to it? Quickly. <laughs> well, because what's their alternative? If, right. if, the, if there's no broker and you're saving them money, they've still got to have a body. They've still got to have a human that's going to interact with mm -hmm. you because right. I promise you the guy that's running the forklift that you ha already hate, he's not going to do it. No. You know, and, and what happens when you're not available? What happens when you get sick or your, your delivery appointment has gone over? Now they have to go with a broker to recover because you're a one man operation. So yeah, there, Ultimately, I think that what the what the goal was with bringing brokers into the industry is um, I think that they wanted to have backup for when that happened. I think that mm -hmm. they wanted to have options for when their regular carriers were not available. But then <clears throat> brokers just became pretty efficient and they said, well, why are we going directly to the carriers if brokers can have so many options for us. It's just like that asset based carrier versus the three PL that one only has 20 trucks when the broker has access to 70,000. And so, it, I mean, it's, it's basically, um, an alternative that ran rampant. Yeah. So let me, let me poke the bear some more. Okay. So, mm -hmm. um, if brokers are necessary, mm -hmm or convenient or they serve a role. Sure. 
why doesn't the federal government regulate what they can charge so that it's fair for us truckers? They did. A long time ago, they did. And it then worked they, out great. And then they got rid of it. Yeah. But now if they do it to one side, they're going to have to do it to the other. Because ultimately what happens, what's going to happen is uh, all these carriers and all these owner operators are going to be like, these brokers are the evil ones. Cap them and dictate how much money they're allowed to make. Imagine if, imagine if somebody actually dictated how much daddy Bezos was allowed to make. Right. What would Amazon <laughs> be? But regardless of that, they're going to say, okay, all right, uh, cap the brokers. Cool. Brokers are capped now. We're capped at 10%. Let's, you know, they're, they're crying for five. It's not going to happen. Cap them at 10. So now we're capped at 10 and the market still does what it does. It still goes up. It still goes down. It fluctuates. There's no stability. They don't know how to do their, their shipping budget or their logistics budget. And they're like, well, capping the brokers was supposed to be the solution and it's still not happening. So where are they going to look? They're going to look at the carriers. Well, what I find most interesting about this desire to regulate the brokers is that out of both of the other side of their mouth, they, they hate the government because of the ELD. They hate the government because of hours of service. They hate the government because of uh, emissions and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, just you're going to the same people that created this list of problems that you have, but you 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 want to take your supernatural religious godlike belief in the state that they've got this magic wand and and if they'll just they'll just write some words down on paper and vote for it and then poof, and and your problem's gonna go away. But y'all haven't figured out yet. I mean, the United States is 250 years old. Um, they're not ever ever going to regulate somebody without regulating somebody. You're giving them the power mm -hmm. to do something you don't want done to you, but yet you're going to give the power to do to somebody else and right. think that it's not going to happen to you. Come it on. It's now. not ever going to end there. It's never yeah. going to end there. And then what's, do you think that shippers at that, that point are being capped? or being told that they have to pay a minimum. Cut the brokers out of the equation altogether. And the, the truckers go to Congress and they're like, we need to have a minimum rate per mile. Do you think shippers are gonna go for that? They're like, we can't afford that. And if you wanna keep America moving, you wanna help the economy with products that people buy and pay taxes on, then you're not gonna do that because a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, let, let's talk about the elephant in the room since we all here know that we're at Landstar. So let's roll back the clock a few years to Map Twenty One, mm -hmm. and why don't you help us help the people here understand what it, what double brokering is, what the the legis what the law is around it, what it really is, and how do you find how do you know how do you find out if it's if it's going on? There's no um, telltale signs. It's kind of like a combination of them. You know, and unfortunately, it could be any one combination and there can be thousands. <laughs> but um, the thing is, is with double brokering, there are so many ramifications to it that are either minimally damaging or 
you know, could really ruin a business altogether, like a legitimate business. We talked about Landstar and you guys do have your agents and everything. The problem with it is that if it's not a direct shipper between the, the shipper or the customer and then Landstar agent to a Landstar truck and it's going from another broker to their shipper, to a Landstar agent, to a Landstar truck, that's double brokering. That's right, double so brokering. Describe that again. Let's go over that so, one more time. So, okay, there's a shipper. They have a broker. The mm -hmm. broker has freight from the shipper. The mm -hmm. broker posts that freight up on the load board. Mm -hmm. Landstar contacts them. If it's not a Landstar truck or the Landstar is not going directly to that shipper, the, there are now two brokers that are involved in that transaction. So if Landstar, bro if, if Landstar brokers that out to an outside carrier, that's where the double brokering comes in. Yes, because if you guys have a carrier MC. If Landstar rolls up with a Landstar truck, it's now not double brokering. It, uh, so uh, just, so let's help me, help me again expl explain the difference between double brokering and co-brokering. So you asked what a four, uh, 3PL is. There's also a 4PL. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anytime you do any kind of work with a 4PL, that's co-brokering. So what a 4PL will do is they contact these larger customers. Um, I actually work with a couple of 4PLs. Not only do I move freight for them, but I recruit drivers for them. So what they do is they have these large conglomerate customers where it just does not make sense for them to have logistics managers on staff. And they will basically partner up with these four PLs to manage it for them. They are an extension of that company now. If you do something to this four PL, you might as well be doing it to that customer because they are they're intermeshed. Gotcha. And so what they do is they curate their carriers so very um, detailed that they have X amount of brokers for their shipments. They have X amount of asset carriers and then they have their own assets on there as well. So their customer could come to them and say, we only want three brokers to be working this freight. We want four asset carriers and the rest of the freight that is there, we want it to be all of your trucks and they have to curate it through an RFP that sometimes takes months plus an additional month of onboarding. They're managing that freight for that customer. <laughs> They've been hired to do it. And there is the shipper has full transparency of who is moving what mm -hmm. that's, that's co-brokering. And there's an agreement in place. It's actually incredibly beneficial to everybody because that's, that, that's real transparency there. With double brokering is when, say, I have a shipment and a carrier contacts me and says, I have a truck. Great. Let's book it. Everything is well and good. I send a rate confirmation over to that, that dispatcher. Okay. What that dispatcher now does is posts it back up on the, the load board for a cheaper carrier to take it. So if I am paying that carrier through my rate confirmation, $2,000, then they're basically brokering it out and posting it up for 18 mm -hmm. and getting a truck that's willing to do it for 18. Mm -hmm. And so then they send their rate confirmation to that carrier. That carrier picks it up, gets a POD, submits it to who I thought was a dispatcher. 
that dispatcher sends that over to me, I pay them, and hopefully they pay that end, end carrier. What I'm seeing more and more is that not happening. That's why it's scary when you say it was posted up at 42 and then it went down to 21. Because if that lane is substantiated by 42 and they're paying 21, that means that very easily they could post that back up for 42, get a carrier to agree to it because it's a good rate, take that 21 when they eventually get paid and leave that other carrier high and dry. So that's happened with me before where something was double brokered. I, I tendered a shipment out to a, a carrier and they double brokered it out. I was only paying $4,000, but they agreed to pay this other carrier $5,600 just to get them on. They had no intention of paying that $5,600. They assumed no risk because they didn't have a truck for it. So they collected that $4,000 for simply making a phone call. And then they disappeared, disappeared off the face of the earth. So now this end driver is contacting me to get paid. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Right, right. But the worst part about that is now that carrier that took off or that dispatcher, the double broker that took off has one of my rate confirmations. Mm -hmm. And now he can doctor it. Mm -hmm. He can put up fake load numbers, fake agents, whatever. And it looks like a legitimate company. And now when those carriers don't get paid because they're taken off, now all the heat comes on my company and I'm getting all these DAT reviews that we don't pay, we're slow pay, it's a, it's a hassle, all that stuff when it was from a doctored rate confirmation and I can't do anything about it. Mm. I see on your TikTok, you get a lot of carriers who call you or and ask about, and uh, can you check on this MC number? This, yeah. MC, uh, you know, uh, walk us through th that process of how you're able to to find out legitimate from illegitimate uh, carriers. Okay, so if I have a carrier that's contacting me about a shipment, there are several avenues that I'm going to take to look them up. First, I'm going to look in my TMS to which is a transportation management software. Right, right. I'm going to look in that. Um, and see if there's any other brokers in my network that have used them and have notes on them because okay. I trust their experience. Um, I'm also going to look in the DAT uh, directory to see if they're registered. If they're not registered, that's a red flag to me. And the reason is um, even if they don't have a DAT account, a lot of 3PLs and a lot of companies will use DAT onboarding. So once they're they've used DAT onboarding, now they're in DAT system or they're in the DAT directory as one of the carriers. Mm -hmm. And if they're not there, that means that they might not legitimately be registered with anybody. So at that point, I'm going to look on um, Safer. I'm going to look on DOT to see if they're legit and see how their their entity is filed. Are they a carrier? Are they a broker? Are they a hybrid of the two? If they're a hybrid of the two, that's like a eh, on me. But if they're just a broker, definitely not because I don't have a co-brokering agreement with you. And why would I? Mm -hmm. right. And then there's Carrier 411. And Carrier 411 is a little bit more uh, of the gossip network. That one is a little bit more salacious. Okay. <laughs> that's where the freight guards are. Um, that's and, where. And describe that's that term. I hear, you, I hear you use that term. D define that term for us. A freight, freight guard? guard? Yeah. Um, it's a ding as if you would have, uh, you know, a bad report on your credit report. So okay. if you do something wrong as a carrier, 
um, a broker has the opportunity to file a freight guard on you. They could submit a report. They basically get to tell their whole side of the story. And there are different categories of freight guards, and they are unethical or deceptive business practices, dishonesty, um, service failures in regards to pickups and drop-offs, double brokering, unpaid claims, um, things like that. And those are the ones, uh, oh, and um, canceled after accepting. The ones that I really pay attention to that really are a hard stop for me, if I see that on you, I'm out, is double brokering and unpaid unpaid claims. Because if, if anything happens to my customer's freight, I need to know that it's covered. And if you're giving a hard time, be accountable for it. You know, I don't care what your intentions are. I care what your behavior is. If that stuff was on your truck and it got damaged, guess what? Be accountable for it. Okay. Right. If it was an issue with it, with how it was being loaded, you have a camera on your phone. Everybody does take a picture when it's getting loaded. So you can show that, you know, right. you're not liable for it. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, those are the hard, hard stops for me, but anybody can put the report on there. And then, um, the carrier has 10 days to respond to the freight guard. And the only way that they can respond is if their contact information is up to date with DOT. So if you register with DOT with some Gmail, you know, email address, and now you have expanded and you have a fleet email with a true domain and all that stuff, update it. Because if you get a freight card, it's going to go to the Gmail, mm -hmm. you know, and not just that, but if somebody is double brokering, Historically, what they're going to do is they're going to take, say, say you guys are Landstar5 at gmail.com. They're going to mm -hmm. do Landstar55 at gmail.com mm -hmm. so that it looks like it's a legitimate Landstar email and you trust it. It's a, it's a big name. They're giving the MC number. Things check out. They send the rate confirmation over to them. They have no intention of using a good carrier for it. They're going to double broker it out. And not just that, but I've had carriers say that they were going to pick something up, say that represented themselves as a carrier, say they were going to pick something up, lied and said that they did, and then asked for um, a fuel advance. Meanwhile, my shipper is like, hey, we still have this stuff on the dock. Nobody picked this up. And at, in, this, in the same minute, they're like, hey, can I get a fuel advance? I started driving I, my debit card, whatever a whole sob story. And I'm like, this freight is still on the dock. And that's how I learned. That's how I figured it out. Otherwise I would have been like, yeah, we can give a comm check, you know? So Anique, this comment we have here from Debbie lives. She's, she is a, a top quality Landstar agent. That's obviously watching. She's been an agent since before there was a Landstar. Right. Right. So let's, let's take her comment and see what it is. In, in, in comment exact on. same thing happened to me two weeks ago. Corporate caught this company and had me ask the consignee the name on the side of the truck that delivered right. the load. I paid them 4,700. They rebooked it for 5,800 used a fake, Landstar Raycon, not mine. And where's the rest of it? Operation said it's the third time they've disqualified the company. Oh, right. I don't know why it won't show me. They just keep opening up, up with, with a new, new MC. MC crazy times. Mm. She also <clears throat> compliments you, uh, Anique. Your guest has some great information. Thank you. <clears throat> so, and and I, I want to kind of, I want to transition to this, and I'm, I'm glad Debbie's here because Debbie and her brother, Scott, I mean, they are, just the best people. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
They have good relationships. They have do good you mind rates. If I, do you mind if I um, hit pause on that for a second? Go ahead. Because Brenda yeah. is asking, the carrier is notified when they have a freight card put on them. Yes. Yes. Immediately. In fact, um, an, a, a broker can't put a freight card on a carrier without the carrier's contact information because the carrier has 10 days to respond. And once they do respond, the freight card is not published for 72 hours because sometimes tensions are high and emotions are running deep and maybe you guys can work it out. You know, it's trying to act as right. a third party or a mediator between the two of you. So if you guys can read both sides of the story, maybe you work it out and they don't, they, they want to take the freight card down. But if your contact information, carrier 411 pulls directly from D, uh, DOT. So if your contact information is not up to date with DOT, then it's not up to date with carrier 411. So they have to have that. They have to have the right information for you so that they can notify you. They can't do anything with that report without that. So, sorry, good question. Okay. And restart. Okay. So Larry was an agent at one time and went out, secured a customer. Scott and Debbie have secured mm -hmm. customers. And they there has to be an avenue for them when there's not a BCO truck available. So Landstar signs up these approved carriers that mm -hmm. submit to Landstar so that if there's not a BCO, um, they can they can get to a truck that can haul that load. Now, Larry's not been shy about saying <clears throat> that dealing with BCOs in a lot of cases led him to want to use approved carriers for his customer because he didn't have to deal with the whining and the complaining and the not, you know, not communicating. If I'm using a carrier, they've got an employee driver, they're going to do what they're told. Um, so <clears throat> combining that with the fact that I need to be able to find loads that have not been secured by a Landstar agent, I need some of that third party freight, probably 25 or 30% of what, what we book, I need that. Now, mm -hmm. because for whatever reason, some Landstar agents have gone out into the market and caused the problems that they 100% have caused. There's nobody going to deny that. Um, right. <clears throat> I've wondered, even with this, this reputation that Landstar has, has, has gotten because of these people, if we fired up Larry's agency again, and ain't gonna happen, by the way. But well, shush. This is a hypothetical. Okay. I want you guys to I, know that I know y'all's MC number by heart. Oh, I'm yeah, I'm sure. Well, I didn't. So you'll love this. I thought I'm dumb enough. I thought the MC was the DOT number, and I tried to book yeah. in a third party load, and so the broker called me. And he was like, well, what's the MC number? And I went 216939. He goes, well, that's not it. That's coming up with something. Because he had called the driver. Oh, God, it was Jim. Oh, help us. He had called Jim. And the guy was like, well, what's the number on the side of your truck? So Jim looks down at the side of the truck, sees 216939, which is not the MC. It's the DOT. So then the broker's really like, you know, and so I'm calling anyway. I, hell, I didn't know what the MC number was. Anyway. I would like, I have trucks and we have drivers that we, our goal and our motivation is to provide good quality service because without good quality service, we're useless. Okay. Well, I would like why, to. The reason why I just, for 
you know, poops and, and giggles is uh, the reason why I checked your MC number just now is because on Safer, your entity is just as a carrier. And therein lies the problem because it's how you guys are representing yourselves. So if you have these other carriers that are not BCOs that you're using for these shipments, then you are brokering those trucks to another broker for their direct shipment, which is double brokering. What well, you guys but, need to do is change the entity to broker carrier, which is super easy to do. It's just a it's just an alteration on your MC number. We have, right. of, that's, we have a lot of that, people in Jacksonville make a ton of money. That I, I know that if that's the case. Okay? Well, but the so. problem is I can't do anything about that, right? right? What I'm trying to get to is I'm wondering if it would be possible. Let's say we fired Larry's agency back up and I, and I built a relationship, right? Regardless of the freight guards and all the stuff that we know people at Landstar have done uh, un, un, unsavory things, right. but people like Debbie and Scott and, and all of the great, wonderful, there are fantastic agents here and there's a bunch of shitheads, yeah. but I, and it, it's happened, God, 10 times in all the years where somebody said, well, Hey, we're not going to use Landstar. And I'm like, right. okay, moving on. Uh, but I get it. Like, I'm not I'm not shocked or surprised or hell even offended. I know that it happens, and I understand why it happens. Now, somebody had asked the question, if TQL brokers a load to Landstar, isn't there trouble brokering? As long as it goes on a Landstar truck that has Landstar on the side of it, no, it's not a problem. And, and, and there was a follow-up to that, something about... Uh, but if TQL has a driver in Cali, buys a load from Landstar, and then sells it to their driver at the same or less money, no. The Landstar agent and the BCO are paid off of the same freight bill. So there's no possible way for a Landstar agent to book a load for $2,000 and only pay a BCO $1,800 because their percentage comes off the same freight bill that my percentage comes off of. As long as... There's one shipper, one broker, and one truck. We're good. The problem comes in these approved carriers sneak in, right, mm -hmm. that have gotten set up so they could haul Scott and Debbie's load, right, which is 100% legal, 100% moral, nothing wrong with that. But then one of these approved carriers will call Landstar and someone is selling them somebody else's load. That's where the problem comes in. Mm -hmm. Now, generally, the only time the problem comes in is if there's a problem, because if they get a check, they don't give a shit. Right. But then when there's a pickup number wrong or a truck order not used or a load cancels or something, then everybody, now everybody's mad. And then they're everybody's blaming everybody for every damn thing. But I'm just wondering, can, could we establish ourselves out in the market? So, okay, well, yeah, that says Landstar, but that's actually blue ribbon. We know those guys. Like, does that opportunity exist or they're just going to see Landstar and be like, nope. Does that make sense? You would have to get your own MC number and probably disclose that it's a Landstar truck. And that's the thing. If you get your own MC number as Blue Ribbon Logistics and you're using a Landstar truck, they can be operating under your MC number. They're, you're just brokering an, a Landstar truck. So at that point, they're not considered a BCO. They're an approved carrier of Blue Ribbon Logistics. But Blue, Rib Blue Ribbon Logistics at that point is not limited to Landstar trucks. They can right. use 
whomever they want. We're not going to do that. Right. And right. no, I know mean, you, you can't mean put you a, have to, but you could. And no, you can't put a time limit on the guy on the bottom. I'll talk as long as I damn well please. And I'll ask all the questions I damn well please. The door is right over there. It's not an airport. You don't have to announce your departure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye-bye. <clears throat> all right. So, um, what else we need to talk about? Uh, um, we've hit double brokering. We've hit. So, I, Anique, I, I how many in in your estimation? And I know this is not going to be, you know, obviously factual, but hang it, on. There's my buddy Wesley. I want to say what's up. Hi, hey, Wesley. Wesley. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> um. So, in your in in your estimation, how many freight bills go? unpaid forever never paid how many freight bills go never paid mm-hmm. i mean in what regards like well i mean just the the this the 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 customer the shipper whoever 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 ordered the freight just doesn't pay oh i've had that happen several times um where somebody you know I, they were vetted and they looked to be good they had good credit the whole nine yards and um You know, I thought that it was going to be a good relationship that we would establish. The thing is, is that when you as a broker or even just as a sales agent, you don't just call somebody and say, hey, you got any freight you want me to ship? And they're like, yeah, thank God you called. No, we're a sales person. It takes like it, it takes a good 10 times of contacting people and building a rapport before they even remember your name. Right. So after all that time of, you know, nursing that and getting that going, you know, you get to vet them just as much as they vet you and you get to determine whether or not this is a good fit. So it's happened a couple of times where I've gone through that and they used me one time, maybe two times, and then peace, sayonara, they were gone. And at that point, it's my responsibility to ask them, hey, um, did we do something wrong? Did, uh, is there a claim that needs to be filed? Was the driver late? You know, what? Were you satisfied? And if you were satisfied, why aren't you paying? You know? <laughs> and if that happens um, where they just don't pay and then they ghost you, then, I mean, you have to take the hit. That's what it is. Uh, so, sometimes, sometimes at the end of the month, you're you're in the red, right? You know. So, factoring is such a big part of of mm-hmm. carriers that have their own authority. Yeah, uh, I'm not a big fan because I think it's a payday loan. Right. Um, but what's what's the average then length of time it takes for a carrier to get paid? Um, so that's a good question. It depends on your factoring company. Um, I think fair is ten days that is enough time to determine whether or not anything's been damaged or if there it was a double brokered load or anybody else is making any kind of claims on the freight. Um, we pay within 10 days. But you also have to take into consideration that we're paying a carrier within 10 days, knowing full well that our customer is taking 30 to 45. That's so, that, that was what I'm getting at, is that the customer can take uh, 30, 40, I guess 60, 90 days, they yeah. pay, I suppose. My right? giant hazmat customer out of the Northeast is a 90 day pay, 90 okay. day terms. So, so, so you cash, a, you cash flow the difference between collecting that and paying the carrier after 10 yeah, days. That's why you need other customers. You're, le- right. it's, you're leveraging the good reliability and short pay of the other customers. 
to if it's, if it's none of my business say so but could do you factor can you factor that yeah you can't okay yeah okay we i mean we factor with all of the major companies and the reason that we do that is so that you guys definitely get paid directly gotcha. Gotcha. and so that you guys don't have to depend on my customers to pay me first right that's right. why i can do that within 10 days got you yeah chris is saying i was going to say between 10 and 20. and and what's the difference between recourse and non-recourse on factoring there like you give up percentage or you give up some money if you don't want to risk them coming to get it back yeah Isn't that right yeah right now i am dealing with i actually i did a TikTok video so many probably like two months ago and it's all blur but there was there was one company that was double brokering a shipment and i figured it out. It was on a Friday night. Everything always happens to me on a Friday night. And, <laughs> and, um, even to this day, there's arguments going back and forth between the factoring company of the actual carrier that delivered and a collections agency and all of it. And I'm just sitting here like eating popcorn, you know, cause there's, there's only so much that we can do as long as paperwork is in place, you know? So, the problem is with that situation, and this is like a whole other stream of this, this cancer of a problem of double brokering, is in addition to that one carrier or the dispatcher taking off, you know, and not paying that guy, he actually forged documents to a collections agency to collect from me on the end carrier's behalf so that he could be paid twice. <laughs> so, right. I mean, this is stuff that um, factoring companies are dealing with also. When I tell you that it's a ripple effect, everything is relative on everything else. So, I mean, people are going to have to wait a little bit longer to get paid sometimes because now factoring companies have a little bit more investigation to do and they have a little bit more legal action that they have to take and be a lot more careful. Did did double brokering did it gain in popularity in twenty one when this market was crazy, or is I it say, always? I would say, and I I saw it a lot more in twenty seventeen. Like 2017. that's when it started. Yeah, that's when it because started it, being but, a thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, because I mean, regulations were lifted, and so right. who is who's babysitting everybody? You know, and then. <laughs> As more and more focus goes on regulating the brokers, our bond used to be $10,000, which is nothing. And now it's 75 for our bond, which in this market and economy and everything is still nothing. I think that our bond should be upwards to $150,000 because of the risk that the drivers are putting using brokers as well. So when the focus started coming on us, that left the back door open for shady stuff to happen on the other side. So that's why I say, if you regulate one, you have to regulate the other. It's not just about capping us. It's about making sure we're doing things ethically in all realms. But if you're putting that focus on one, then it, it's a seesaw. It leaves so much space for shady stuff to happen on the other. 
So they have to look at both sides of the coin when it comes to regulating and cracking down on these things. Um, shoot, I just lost my, oh, I know. So how do you handle when a carrier or driver, whomever, um, makes a claim of detention or layover or things like that? How, how do you handle that as a broker? Detention's pretty easy. Just show me um, a bill of lading that has check-in and check-out times that's initialed by somebody at the shipper or at the receiver, and I'll pay it. Um, no questions asked. Even if my even if my customer doesn't agree to it, I'm still paying it because you were there, and that's fair. Um, for a layover, if you were late and it was your own fault and they couldn't unload you and you had to sit, guess what? I, I got to get flack for it because you were late, you right. know? And I might get charged a late fee, which is more than what you're charging me for layover. So do you really want to die on this hill? <laughs> you know? um, for lumpers, yeah. it's a wash. So I can't say when I'm booking freight, lumpers change all the time. I used to have a customer that would um, ship to DC's second and third shift. So it was late at night. So there was going to be lumpers. And it was a range anywhere between like $95 up to $200, which is like, you know, a big berth. But I would warn my drivers, hey, you're going to encounter a lumper there. So have either have money or I can give you a comm check. But some of these shipments were super late at night on the West Coast. I'm East Coast. Don't call me at one o'clock in the morning or you can. I'm not going to answer. You know, <laughs> so pay it, give me a receipt and I'm going to reimburse you. But I don't gotcha. mark up on that. So right, a lot of right. a lot of times people are in my comment section like you're you're taking money off of every little thing. You're nickel and diming. I have to substantiate that. I have to show my customer a receipt and they're going to ask me why I'm charging one hundred and seventy five dollars for a lumper. That's only one hundred and fifty on a receipt. Right, so, right. no, we don't mark that up. We don't make any money off of that. Not off of your back like that. Somebody asked a question, how do you deal with truck order not used? Um, a tonu, easy. If uh, you if you have deadhead and you're, you know, a little more than halfway there, dog's name is Kobe, he's a brat. Um, and you're a little bit more than halfway there on your deadhead, that's when I am considering a tonu if the freight's not there or if it's not ready. If you show up and it's not there, not ready, you're definitely getting a tonu. And it's what you ask for. And I'm charging my customer and it's a wash. I'm not making any money off of a tonu. Do you get pushback um, from your customer and they refuse to pay it ever? I'm sorry? Do you get yeah. pushback from your customer and they refuse to pay it? Yes, 100%. And what they can expect from me is a conversation. And the one thing that I drive home pretty regularly is I don't care what your intentions are. I care about what the behavior is. I care about what actually happened. Take your feelings out of the situation. I know you don't want to pay it. We've already established that. I don't want you to have to, but should you? And if you can identify any truth to what the behavior is, then be accountable and pay it. And it's the same thing with me. There are plenty of times when there's a tow new that has been occurred because of my own mistake. I confused the date of a pickup or whatever, whatever could have happened. Or they canceled it before the driver started heading over there and I got busy and it slipped my mind to tell the carrier and it was my fault and it's crappy and I feel sorry, but I'm going to pay you for it. And that doesn't go to the shipper. There have been plenty of times that I've paid Tonu or I've paid layover or anything like that 
without or, or detention without charging my shipper because it was my fault and it's the right thing to do. And as long as at the end of the month I'm in the black, in the black, I have the authority and I have the power and I have the freedom to make that decision on behalf of my carriers just to keep the relationship and live to ship another day. Chris, with the exception of that last question, because uh, I want to save that for last, uh, have you got any other of these of these you want to go? So we're bored, bored on an hour and a half. I want to. I want to ask. Got a dog to put to bed. I, I want to give. I want to give her an opportunity to contradict something that we say. Um, we generally, um, discourage people that are first time owner operators with no business experience from getting their own numbers, buying their own truck and trailer and going straight into the open market. Our advice is to lease to a carrier so that you can build your business over time. You can learn, you can make mistakes in a more protected environment than being out in the open market. One of the things that we see talking about intentions versus behavior is people will come into our program and the first six week is just send an email, do your paperwork. Um, they can't like get, get the, who, who'd you talk to? You know, um, where's the, where's the receipt? Where's the proof of delivery? Like it, it, retraining people that were employees to now be, uh, people to get every receipt and get every proof of delivery and send every email and, and just do that finite communication. I'm not saying you can't do it because you're too dumb. I'm not saying you can't, you can't do it because you're not experienced. I'm saying that the likelihood based on what I have seen is that the failure rate is going to be much higher because you're not going to pay attention to the details. They're not going to give you that lump of receipt. They're not going to have the documentation. They're not going to have the in and out times. And then they're just going to say, well, you, you need to pay me. Okay, with what? So, Here's the having thing. Said, having I, said that, my question is, uh -huh. would you contradict that advice? Because I feel really pampered and, and privileged being at a carrier because there's a lot of stuff that you talk about, some pitfalls and stuff that we don't have to deal with. Because if we deliver it, scan it, they're paying us. If they never get paid, we're getting paid. So do you? would you contradict that advice? Am I making too much of it? Am I looking at what independence and their relationship with you as being too difficult. Cause that's what it feels like. It, Cause it feels scary. Like I can't imagine given what I do here, going out and doing that in the open market. Right. Um, well, to touch on every email and all of that stuff, all I can do is throw a lot of these carriers words back in their face and cite rule 371.3. Cause you guys are going to have to keep all of those documents too. If we have to for three years, you have to for three years. Every single one, every single part of that transaction is to keep it secure for three years and keep records of it. It's not just brokers. So mm -hmm. if you want to throw 371.3 in brokers' faces, then you're going to have to throw them in your own face. And if you're not ready to do that, if you're not ready to adhere to that rule, then you are not ready to be an owner-operator. And yes, take a lease. But... It also is dependent upon what your finances are. So mm -hmm. it, it goes to what we talked about much earlier. If you buy a truck and you buy a trailer and you get insurance and you get all of that stuff, you have to make sure that the cost and the payments for all of those things, your overhead, your um, operating costs, your profit is within the means of what the lanes that you want to run are paying so that you can be in the black. 
if in that research you determine that you will be at a loss, you want to take a lease. And the people that I recruit for, um, you know, there are some that are just direct hire for OTR, and there are some that do offer leases the way that Landstar does. So that being said, my approach to them when I'm approaching them about leasing onto some of my companies is how much is your insurance going to cost you? Is it going up? Don't give up your MC number. You can, you can get an MC number and you can just let it sit. And right. the longer you do that, the better it looks for factoring down the road. So that might be even better of an option for you. But if you can't afford the insurance on that truck, you can piggyback that insurance with a larger company and lease with them. They'll pay for it. You'll get gas cards with their discounts. You get 75% of the line haul. You get 100% of the fuel. You get 75% of every stop. It's a small rental fee for trailers if you don't have one. It's beneficial in that sense if you want to just start building and learning the business. Aside from the fact that you may not afford it or may not be able to afford it with what your operating costs would be on your own, don't come out in this industry opening, slamming the door, kicking the door open, saying, I'm here, let's let's make some money. No, you got to know what you're doing. And the only way, like I said in the beginning, when I told you how I became a broker, the only way to learn about the industry is to do it. So that's not going to be anything that they teach you in school. And for clarity, when we say lease, we're talking about leasing a truck onto a carrier, not right. leasing a truck from a company. Right, right. We teach people mm -hmm. to pay cash for trucks and not have truck payments. Yeah, exactly. Well, what you say makes a lot of sense, Anique, because it comes from the, out of the mouth of a business person. Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest problem we find is that uh, most truck drivers – do not have the business acumen to, to determine all those things you just said to be done. Mm -hmm. You know, the, they, 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 they get aroused at the thought of having their own truck mm -hmm. to the point where they no longer think with their big head. And, and, and so they do these things, you know, without thinking, you know, because everybody, we had a, we had someone come on our program one time and they made a comment that we've, I've never forgotten, but everybody out there is, everybody else out there is making it happen. You know, um, so, you know, it, because everybody else out there is driving trucks and doing it, it must be OK. And I, I told that individual, I said, I, I pray that there was some kind of gauge that was on the side of that truck that said how many years it's been since they filed a tax return, how mm -hmm. far behind they were on truck payments, how long it's been since they paid their child support and on and on and on and on. Because there you can look like you're making it happen until the day you don't make it look like you're making right. it happen. And at the end of the day, if you if you're not willing to go out here and go down the street and, and build a brick and mortar donut shop or whatever you want to call it and commit to that, don't go buy a truck because it's guess the what same happens thing. also if you're not paying your child support. Yeah, they take they your license, your we're, driver's license. Yeah, we were and now you're not that. now you're not making any money. But right. right. I, I don't think. But that you they, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I don't think that they teach this. Anymore. No, absolutely. No, not in CDL school nor in government school. Okay. No. <laughs> we haven't found any place that we, we teach it, but so we I don't. can't, I can't fault somebody for being ignorant of that if they're not being taught, but I can fault somebody for understanding that that's what it encompasses and continuing to remain ignorant. At that point, ignorance is a choice. We have people who come here that have been through four and five leases 
And and they didn't learn from one. They didn't learn from two. They didn't learn from three. I'm going to try it again. So how do you have to fault that one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and um, there's a willingness, a willingness to learn. Like if, mm-hmm. if you, if you don't know how something works and again, back to the beginning, that's why I love TikTok is because I can bump into people that have practical experience and knowledge and they're trying their damnedest mm-hmm. to share it with you. If you will just shut up and listen. And no, they're quote, Chinese quote, spies, Chris. Shut up. They're not Chinese spies. We can't have TikTok anymore. To quote Larry Long, you have two hour, two ears and one mouth. Uh, so maybe <laughs> put your thumbs in your pocket and open your ears and just listen. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hit this this last one. You Willie Nelson hit. is asking, do you want to take some questions from these people? Yeah. Well, sure. If you got if time. You, if you got the time. I, I got you know, time. I'm okay. hanging out with cats and a dog. All right. Um, you point them out and I'll put them on the screen. Okay. Uh, let me see. Willie Nelson wants to know, how did I get my start? Did I dispatch for a company first? I apologize if you already said and I missed it. I started out as a shipper. So I had to find all the trucks. I had to find, we were, we started out as like a LTL operation. We we're just moving some, um, some pallets. So I would use like RNL, I would use SDs and Southeast freight lines and things like that. And then it started to become more truckloads. And then um, that was a nine to five. I got a paycheck. I got a W2, all that stuff. And then I had three kids under the age of five and I had to, I had to sit at home. <laughs> I had to sit my butt home, but I needed to make an income. And um, so a company was willing to train me. Um, they did the skeletal framework of brokering and everything else I learned was on my own. Uh, she needs her own page and speak on brokers. I can watch her all day. As well. well, I'm on TikTok. How about that? Yeah. It's small world unique. So... Yeah, you you listen. You'll get hung in that in that vortex, and you'll just be there for a couple hours. And again, <laughs> the thing that I like the most about Anique is that she uh, engages then uh, then the, the trolls. You know, it's it's really it's fun to watch. You know, I, I get a lot of well, I'm I get not a, lot a coward. Of, I mean, no, I'm, I'm but but you know, a lot of people just avoid confrontation and just don't answer the questions at all. But I no. like because you engage. You know, right? And I you have, defend and you defend yourself quite well. I might thank add, you. So. I have I have the saying on there, you know, Michelle Obama used to say when they go low, we go high. Right, right, right. And I'm just like, I you go low, I go medium because I still have some inner work to do. But- <laughs> Listen, when you when you call that guy a banana peel the other day. <laughs> Usually um, it tends to be vegetables or rotten fruit or something. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean I People try to make you feel the way that they feel. If you if you take a step back and you listen to how people are talking about or talking to you and what they're trying to make you feel like, they're trying to make you feel the way that they do. So if I have a carrier or some or a troll in my comment section that is feeling desperate, is feeling worthless, is feeling used, is feeling you know, like they're the scum of the earth because of how they've been treated. Of course, they're going to try to make me feel that way. Right. Sure. So if I can recognize that in them, it allows me to set them straight, but do it with a little bit of compassion. I would much rather sit there and and call you a piece of wilted lettuce than call you every expletive (laughs) in the book. (laughs) Because maybe we can get a little, a little lighthearted about it. You know, maybe you can get a giggle and realize that we're both people. 
and we're in this together. <clears throat> I, um, um, I, I, I admire your, your patience is all I can say to that. So <laughs> sometimes I just get to where, you know, d- 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 what happened to you? You know, like, uh, like Chris's friend one time got told by another radio guy, did somebody drop you on your head when you were little? I mean, what, how do you possibly think the way you think, you know? Did you eat paint chips? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So I, so I think I know, I think I know where he's going with this. Can you talk about broker pay and how TQL brokers make on average of only $20 an hour? So I'm, does that mean that because they're getting paid so low that they're not putting in the same, I'm not sure where he's going with this, but low paid brokers brokers are all entirely on commission we don't get a salary unless you're working for you know a larger 3pl that has some hedge fund investors behind it you know and they're on the they're on you know the the nasdaq um and publicly traded you're not getting a salary you're not getting health insurance you're an independent contractor so you're responsible for all of that so by saying on average only $20 an hour, whose fault is that? Because you, as somebody who works on in sales and works on commission, get to determine how much you want to make. So if I've made $300 in a day and I'm good with that, I can walk away. But I'm not going to sit there and complain that I only made $300 that day if I want to make five. That means I have to continue sitting and I have to continue dialing and I have to continue pounding the pavement and smiling and being charming to get more freight. Um, So that being said, if a TQL broker is making on average $20 an hour, then they're not making the sales that they want, which could explain why when they do happen to get a sale or they do happen to get a shipment, they're charging the 65% (laughs) to make up for all the other days that they weren't making any money and averaging them out at 40 grand a year. So that's the best way I can explain it. And I hope that that makes sense to your question. Um, As a broker agent, should I contact the shipping department or sales department when prospecting? Um, what you're doing as sales as a broker agent. So, you know, I'm not going to talk to another salesperson unless I'm just wanting to get the name of the gatekeeper and the decision maker. It's usually salesperson is just the person that's going to inform you of who to talk to. And then you talk to that person and then they're, if they like what you have to say, they're going to pass you on to the person who is the decision maker. So if you want to, you know, get your get your foot in the door with the shippers and, you know, the logistics managers. I mean, that might be how you want to scale the ladder, but it's more direct to call and say, hey, I need to speak to the shipping manager, transportation manager, logistics manager, whatever the case may be. And usually that person, if they like what you have to say, will send you over to purchasing because now you have to get set up as a vendor. So if you've been sent over to pur- purchasing, uh, things things are about to happen for you. If you've not been in freight sales, you don't know what re- rejection sounds like, okay? Mm-hmm. Because those phone calls, um, very few of them get through. The gatekeepers are really, really good because they get paid to keep the gate. Yep. And uh, you have to be very talented and, and, per- and persistent. 
mm-hmm. uh, to get through them. So uh, yeah. uh, truck drivers will find out very quickly how uh, why how brokers earn their money and why they deserve to make uh, whatever portion <laughs> what I wanna, they make. Of the- what I want to ask is, like, how well are you at remembering birthdays? Is that you're asking you're asking me or is that just a anybody like this is something that you have to, if, if you're a carrier and you think to yourself I want to pursue my own shippers I want to pursue direct to shipper and customer and I want to cut the broker out I remember to send Christmas gifts I remember their kids softball games I remember what they told me their wife wore to their 20th wedding anniversary dinner like that and i'm not doing it because i think that that's going to get my foot in the door i'm doing it because they're they're my relation that's my relationship mm-hmm. there was a there was a movie back in the night i think it was like one of the yeah it was one of the meg ryan movies one of the uh rom-coms i think it was like uh, you've got mail and um there was a line she said in that movie that said, I hate it when people say that it's business, it's not personal, because everything should have a little bit of personal in it. You should have your fingerprints on everything, or else you're just another carrier that's calling them saying, oh, I could save you money. They don't care. (laughs) They know that they're spending more money on a broker. They know that. They know what they're paying for. But I'm putting in the effort. I'm investing in them. I'm asking them questions about them because people love talking about themselves. They love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So, I mean, the sweetest, time, the, the sweetest sound to, to their ears is their name. Yep. So. Exactly. Enough about <clears throat> me. Tell me what you think about me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'd rather have my fingernails pulled out than do a sales call. So I'm, yeah. I'm good with just being the fleet manager. Believe me, same, same. (laughs) But in this industry, you could have one great shipper for years and years and years. I wake up every day knowing that it could all go away and I have to have three more in the pipeline behind them. Right. So. Uh, So we, can we agree the market is flooded with trucks? First off, this is my friend. This is my friend, King Trouble. He's your my my okay. question my is why is there no argument to stop these four week CDL schools? Because they make money. They do make money. And they're I'm I, they're pro- I've always heard I don't know if there's a true but my whole career, you know that the schools are getting subsidies. Maybe maybe not. I don't I don't they're, know. But but they're making school, money. There are CDL schools in prisons for inmates that are coming out that need jobs. <clears throat> they're teaching them CDL. And they come out and they don't have any experience, so it's hard for them to work. So they like they come on with with carriers, you know, as as a lease or as an OTR driver to get experience and get some money and buy a truck. It's a it's a great setup. But that that leads me to a question, because we've had, I don't know, two or three or four people that applied with us that we really liked. We love their attitude. We love their their presentation, everything about them. We're like, man, we want you in this, in this program. And they couldn't get hired because of some bullshit criminal record from 20 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, and I'm, and I'm stuck because I, are tired. <clears throat> they have to be qualified through Landstar. And if Landstar won't qualify, I can't help. Them. Mm-hmm. So if people have, 
gotten in some kind of trouble, you know, and most of it's drugs. It's not like they murdered somebody. Most of it's some they did, the shit. other person probably had it coming. But <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that's what she said, preacher. Um, <laughs> but is there an opportunity for for felons and ex cons that 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 could go? the independent route because they could go get their numbers. Like is criminal record really, when you're looking at, is somebody worthy? You're not looking at criminal record. Are you, you're looking at, I don't care. I don't care up to a certain, I mean, if, if it was five years ago, I don't care. Are you the same person you were five years ago as you are today? Are you, are you the same person you were six months ago? Like, I don't, I don't care. Um, and aside from that, I think the only thing that they would probably have a problem with is getting bonded or getting their bond. But if that's the case, um, you know, there are other people that can sponsor them. But there's also a different type of bond that they can get that gives their employer a tax break if anything goes wrong. Well, first, they get a tax break regardless for hiring the felon, but then they would get um, a they would get uh, recompense if they did anything wrong while they were on the job. And so when they get out of prison, they go through this whole bonding program, usually with like a career source center or something like that. It's really just like a training class for a day. They get the bonding and it makes them more palatable to a potential employer. Mm-hmm. But if they were to go out on their own independently and buy their own truck and everything, that would be a great option if they can bypass or, get through the red tape of the bonding and that's all. Okay. And maybe the underwriting also of their insurance. Somebody wants you to um, answer Rocky's fake question about the Mercedes just so they can hear you go off. Um, <laughs> now I got to remember what it was. He has to have $1,300. He's got to have $6 a mile. Cause he got a Mercedes and motorcycle and three girlfriends. I mean, the, the the basic thing is, yeah, my my well, my hey, my cost is it's it's five dollars, you know, yeah. that, that's my cost, you know. So what you going to do about it, you know? And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> it's, not my it's not my problem, and it's not my shipper's problem that you have four baby mamas, and then you have to pay child support to all of them. You decided to go and have four families and buy the top of the line car. That's not the responsibility of the shipper to pay and subsidize your lifestyle. But they Anique, care about the they care about the value of the lane. That's it. But Anique, you're being cold hearted. I paid two hundred thousand dollars for a new truck. I'm entitled to a fair wage. <laughs> and the repo man is entitled to your truck. <laughs> <laughs> the repo man's gotta eat too. <laughs> What about Did I not tell you all you'd enjoy this tonight? <laughs> so that this this is a two because I saw somebody else because you mentioned something about deactivating or, right, right. or, or parking the authority. So yeah, says, hell, I'm, I'm considering deactivating my authority and coming to Blue Star. Even if rates are the same, I'll save 8,000 insurance yeah. premiums. So what does that look like? Because I, I know Landstar makes you do something. If you have an authority, you, there's right. something you have to do before they'll leash you on. So what, what is that? You can deactivate it. Um, but there are other lease, <clears throat> lease carriers that just allow you to let it sit and not do anything with it. Um, that is the rub. 
that is the sales pitch to um, people who are looking to lease on recruiters like me that go out and try to find drivers that have their own equipment that want to lease on with a, with a company. That's it. Mm -hmm. Like other OTRs will be like, we're giving you a $10,000 sign on bonus, which is, you know, super enticing to the brand new, you know, mm -hmm. drivers out there. Cause they think $10,000 windfall. They have no idea how fast that goes and they don't realize they have to pay so much taxes on it. But, um, with it, it evens out when you're saving somebody $8,000 on an insurance premium. Cause that's, you know, that's a hard hit. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're not looking for the sign on bonus. They're looking to save money. And the best advice that I've ever had <clears throat> is that it's easier to take things out of your budget than it is to find money to put into it. So, we have we get this argument a lot because you know we everybody thinks that because we're at Landstar we give up thirty five percent of our money and we go through this a lot and we've 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 itemized all the things that as with your own authority that you have to pay for uh -huh. uh, they're 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 to several different people and then we look at the thirty five percent which really we've proven is really actually twenty eight percent and it it. it, it you know, it, it's not completely different. It's just you don't pay it to one lump sum to one person. Right. You know, you, and then and then there's a lot of things that we get done in a quality manner that if you're not, if you're, if you, for example, all the compliance stuff and all the stuff you have to get ready for for, the, for that 18-month uh, safety um, audit, yeah. you know, the, not having things done with the I's dotted and the T's crossed, you know, when you're doing it yourself, drive a truck down the road as opposed to having a whole building full of people that do it right. So the argument is always there, you know, and so and I think what it comes down to, like Chris said, min we're all about minimizing risk here. You know, you're going to open up a business. Most businesses fail. Half of all businesses fail, period. And then in this industry, most businesses fail within two years that are, that are brand new buying their first truck. If letting, if, if giving up a percentage of the revenue in exchange for these services, trailer, all these things we talk about, um, if that minimizes your risk and gives you a chance to get your foot in, you know, a foothold and get started, uh, are you really giving up the revenue? You know, it's, it's, no. it, 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 you know, it's just, it's an argument that we just get tired of beating our head against the wall about. The most expensive thing out of all of this is your peace of mind. Really? Because <clears throat> if you're not sleeping at night because you're wondering where your next dollar is going to come from, then you end up in my comment section screaming at me and then I end up calling you a piece of fruit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so if you have some peace of mind, then how angry are you after? Right. No one. Okay. Right. Your, your tummy is full. Your kids are, are playing with their PlayStation, you know? But, but again, we, we get this, we get this mentality, but you're not really a real trucker unless you've got your own authority, you know? Uh, like real truckers don't go broke. Um, so are anyway, you a real trucker if you're parked on the side of the road? Because you're, you're not really well, a trucker you, then. You're a parker then. You're really, really. Uh, tr uh, well, I'm not gonna say that. I'll use. I'll use. You don't truck. say it. I'll say it. <laughs> I'm you're not a, afraid. You're a really, really banana trucker when you do that. <laughs> uh, there was there was one guy that got called a meatball, so he must have been like the highest level. Uh, he took know, my even, content and he twisted it entirely. Uh, like, oh, he damn sure did. He sure did. Like he uh, went and he, he 
heard something that I said and he went and said, so what you're saying is, and it's like the polar <laughs> opposite. And I'm like, right. no, you spaghettio. That is not <laughs> spaghettio. So when they get past fruit, is that like a, the next level? When Once you get, you get into meat? proteins, then, <laughs> <laughs> then it's bad. Wait until I call you a fish fry. Ooh. A fish fry? <laughs> that one's stinky. Wow. Wow. Uh, okay. Um, oh, gosh. Um, uh, Luke, uh, hey, Lunar Ticks. Just joined in. I would like to hear Anique's viewpoint on building a book of business and firing customers. Oh, so we've had to do okay. that. So um, one thing that I always preach is that um, my intention is never to be the cheapest because you get what you pay for. I'll never want to be the cheapest. Um, I don't want to be the most expensive, but I want to be fair. You know, um, building the book of business, you want like you want ideally a good 10 customers beyond that you're spreading yourself too thin and you're not giving them the service that they're paying for. Um, but the book of business is going to be something that you have to build upon. It's going to take a while. Um, if you are just starting out with a brokerage or considering opening up your own brokerage and you don't already have shippers in place, don't do it. Just go on with a three PL, learn the industry, make some money. Um, I have fired customers just because I don't want to be on their huge quoting email, you know, cause then it becomes a bidding war. Um, if you want a story time, if we, if you have the time for it, I can, I can give you Bring a good it. example. Okay. Bring so I had one customer that I convinced during COVID he, he was a annual RFP person. Explain that. COVID, explain that. RFP. Explain that. RFP term. is a request for freight pricing and or request for freight proposal. And that's for a customer that is not specifically a spot market customer. Okay. So they have regular lanes that they do either to DCs or um, transfer centers, things like that. They know they do it on a regular basis and they want regular pricing for it. And that's something that you usually have to market source by talking to carriers that you have relationships with. Um, things like that. But that one is, that one takes a lot more time. And that one is more of an investment in that customer. So most of the time they were doing it annually. And you'll find that the four PLs that I talked about before do the annual RFPs. Once COVID hit, they started doing it every six months so that the tenders that they were giving to the carriers that they had were not being rejected because the rates were just too off base from nine months earlier. So this customer in particular, I convinced them, hey, I know you're, I know you like your RFPs. I know you like people bidding and stuff like that. And you like having that stuff in advance, but things are just way too volatile right now for you to do it annually or even six months. I knew what his budget was like. I knew how tight they were. So I said, do it every 30 days. At the same time that this was happening, um, there was a company that was trying to vet me and they were, they wanted me to come on as like a director of brokerage, you know, and I was going to have a salary and insurance and a title and all that stuff. They wanted me to make my agency dormant so that I could come on with them and actually work for them. But 
Um, they wanted me to bring my book of business and they had to vet them to make sure nobody else was working with them. If you're a broker and you come on with a 3PL or a larger company, they're going to check your customers to make sure that another broker isn't working with them because you both can't work it at the same time. Right. So when that happens, you have to sign an NDA, uh, which is a non-disclosure agreement so that they can't pirate your customers if it doesn't work out. And I did. So I do this RFP for this guy and I have several carriers for one lane in particular that was like, I think it was Kenner, Louisiana to Atlanta. So I had a good three in place and they gave me great rates because they had to pick stuff up out of PetSmart in Atlanta and bring it back to um, New, like New Orleans area. So um, I get these great rates and everything. And um, in the meantime, this company is vetting me. Things are looking okay. And then I just decided not to work with them anymore. These cheese puffs went <laughs> and went against our the NDA and tried to pirate my customer. Mm. So the next RFP cycle, I was kind of relying and my carriers were relying on me having these lanes awarded to me, which were like three a day, five days a week. And they were gone. So I, I called him and I asked him what happened to, to my Louisiana lane. And he says, oh, somebody somebody came in a little bit lower. And I said, who? And he wouldn't tell me. So I said, okay, I got you. <laughs> One of my carriers contacted me and said, I have this brokerage that's trying to see if they could use my trucks for this lane. And it was your lane. So I know who got your lane. I said, I said, who did it? Who got it? And it was the company that vetted me. Mm. So I was mm. like this little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. There's the fruit that I know about right there. So I called him up and I said, really, Danny, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're doing. And he was like, well, you know, it's just business that no. that whole thing is just business. And I'm like, bro, I know your cat's name. Like, <laughs> I, I, it's just business. Okay. I said, not only do I have this lane with you, but I have Northeast stuff that I get for great rates for you. I have Vegas to Portland. I have Oklahoma City. I have the most undesirable markets that I get great rates for, for you because I have relation. I'm, I'm leveraging my relationships with my carriers on your behalf. So it's not just this lane that you've risked. It's every other one, because I'm going to remember because it's personal to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I, I, I talked to the carrier that, that, you know, wised me up to it. And he was like, I'm never going to give my trucks to this place. Uh, it's just bad business. I'm not going to, I said, I guarantee you in two weeks, Guarantee you in two weeks, these will be in my hands again. Guarantee you. And he said, okay. And then sure enough, two weeks later, he was like, I need, I, I need to know if you can pick these lanes back up. And I'm like, oh, what happened? What, mm. what happened? And he's like, well, they couldn't honor the rate. They couldn't, they couldn't do it. And I'm like, A, they were, they were taking their rate off of rate view, which is stupid because they're amateurs and they don't have me working for them to train their people better. And um, B, they already approached all my carriers and my carriers are loyal to me because right. I'm loyal to them. So now that you're crawling back, guess what? My rate has gone up. Of course. Not just <laughs> for that one, but for all of them. 
Because <laughs> I know it's business. It's just business. That was awesome. It's just business, right? Yep. It's just business. So eventually, it was it was a few months later, I fired that customer altogether. So Chris, are you the, the, the yogurt face or, or, or the mouthful of sour cream? What? Are you talking <laughs> the brand Chase Mac? Oh, don't call these guys a yogurt face or mouthful of sour cream. Okay. All right. I'm learning all kinds you, of new customers. Is this somebody you know, Anique? Is this one of your friends? I don't know. I, I, hope, I hope he's not because I don't recognize the name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> So listen, we we get worse than that. Don't worry about that. Thomas thinks you're hot, by the way. Thomas Romero thinks you're hot. Easy, I'm Thomas. Available. Easy, get Thomas. In, yeah, get in line, brother. You're you're she's out of your you're she's out of your league. So I'm unavailable to everybody. There you, there you go. There you now you know. So, well, listen, Anique, uh, we really really appreciate. It. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Let, hey, let let's hit one though, real quick, real what's quick. That? Where'd it go? That oh, one, I, I, I know. What about. Going. We got to yeah. hit that one. We got to hit. Yeah, this will wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. Let me freaking find it. It, it. I can tell you what it is. Tell yeah, us what you it's think basically about, about convoy uh, uh, freight matching. You know, uh, uh, blockchain, the future of blockchain and brokering. You know, what what's your opinion about about uh, the the freight matching business versus the broker model? The freight matching business. Yeah, you know the uh, digital freight matching convoy lane access. <laughs> um, uh, they're essentially turning themselves into brokers. Yeah, I mean, but but with but with data matched, you know, the GPS has or the ELD has provided now location of all the trucks. Sure. Uh, and they're just trying to sign on the shippers so that now, you know, the, uh, the 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 computer can match them up without having to go through you as a human being. <clears throat> they are going to have to go through a human being, and the reason they're going to have to go through a human being is because there's not always going to be capacity where they are. And the rate is not always going to be the right one for them. And the longer that that freight sits, the more inclined these shippers are going to be to go with an actual human being that they can have communication with and that they can, you know, have someone manage and direct. That comes with, that comes with its own problems that still need to be dealt with that they don't want to. <laughs> So, I mean, right. all I'm going to have to do is learn about that end of the industry altogether a little bit more because there's still going to be somebody out there that doesn't want to deal with it. Or there's there's going to be like a boomer that doesn't want to deal with technology. And right. Mm, I've, I, I've met one of those. <laughs> um, well, what I'm a, I'm a huge blockchain crypto enthusiast. I see uh, when you understand the... Um, the benefits of having that that decentralized ledger. Mm -hmm. At one point, I believe that it would it would eliminate the broker model, but I don't believe that anymore. What I believe it will do is, um, when there is a an immutable record that's that's stored on blockchain. If you're a uh, if if you're a, a noodle, uh, let's say if you're a wet noodle, a meatball, yeah. a banana peel, piece of celery. Cheeto. Lettuce. Don't forget Cheeto. That that stain mm. will never go away from you, right? Right. So that I think will be because it should give us technology that we need mm -hmm. that will do kind of what the the four one uh, carrier four one one does, 411. Mm -hmm. but do it a whole lot better. So that if you're a stinky piece of yogurt, 
you know, everybody's going to smell you, you know, and, and then you're, you better behave. You know, it's like, like, like imagine a decentralized immutable social network where mm -hmm. you type something, you better like it because it ain't never going away, you know, because there's no, there's no centralized authority where somebody can say, Oh, no, you can't say that, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, <clears throat> but I, I think, and again, I believe I'm 47, living in the year 2023. It's never been better than it is today. This is the mm -hmm. safest, most prosperous time to be alive in all of human history mm -hmm. if you're not a banana peel. If you're not a banana peel. And what that comes down to is just treat people well. You know, if you need to blow off steam, then do it in my comment section. But don't take it out on the freight. Don't take it out on the shipper. Be on time. There, You'll be hard to find any job out there where you can miss deadlines and not be on time and, and, you know, wake up late and not get fired, you know? Right. So, um, but people talk. So I get need, ready for that. <clears throat> tell everybody where they can find you again. Okay. Okay. Um, my website is smallworldventuresllc.com and I'm on TikTok. I'm small world Anique. And I'm also um, on Facebook. I have Small World Ventures LLC on Facebook. And well, y'all go find her. Yeah. And also, Mr. Romero and anybody else that is, um, you know, talking about me being hot or all whatever, you have to go through Roofing Trucker. You have to go through King Trouble. You have to go through all of them. They are going to um, make sure that you are good enough for me. There you go. She's got her posse. I do. So, all right, Anique. Well, listen again. Thank you so much for doing this tonight. Um, like I said, and, we might, and just we'd love to do it again sometime. Absolutely. To, to extend an invitation for later, um, I think maybe in a sometime down the road, get Brandy, and y'all come and just just unleash yourselves on everybody at the same time. We were on. Uh, we were on um, Trucker Fever. I think it was that radio show out of houston about okay. a month ago yeah so yeah she's a she's a spitfire we are kind of cut from the same cloth but she'll tell you that i'm a little bit nicer than her <laughs> i could see that yeah i could see that i think she's gonna call me a lot worse than a you know banana peel you know right. she so. probably will Probably well, she well uses, wait, she uses listen, the full four letters. <laughs> this is prop. This is probably the best podcast we've ever done. Uh, in then the 158 that we've done. So, uh, we would absolutely love to have you back sometime. Uh, thank you for here. doing this. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and we will all be faithfully watching your TikTok to watch you slay all the banana peels and meatballs. Thanks, it's my pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks have for a good night me. and enjoy your weekend. Thanks again for being you too. here. Okay? Bye. Uh -huh. Bye, Bye, guys. See you. Bye. Well, that was wow. fun. It was. That was awesome. Some um, different perspectives. Yeah. Um, well, there's just, you know, don't believe everything you think. You know, there are people that are willing to give you good information if you'll just shut your mouth and listen. Listen to their perspective. Listen to their experience. And, you know, you can tell if somebody's full of crap or not. Especially know? if they don't agree with you. You learn the most from people that don't agree with you. Because guess what? There's a chance you might be wrong. Yeah. You know, there's that outside chance that you might have your perspective changed by listening to the other side, uh, which would be a really good thing for all of us 
in this country to do right now, because there's less to divide us than 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 uh, there's 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 more that we have in common than what divides us. It's just we don't hear it because we stay in our echo chambers. Well, know? and we get distracted. I mean, obviously, there are bad brokers. There are bad carriers. There are bad agents. There's bad 3PLs. There's bad people. And you're never going to get rid of them. But what we've got our responsibility is to be the good ones that connect with the good ones and then, you know, distance ourselves from the ones that are that are the bad actors. But when you get wrapped up in that identity by association, well, by God, I'm a truck driver and, and therefore I'm virtuous. No, you're not. You're virtuous mm -hmm. because of what you're doing for other people in your capacity as a truck driver. Right. You know, well, that person's a broker. They must be. No, that's, that's incorrect. Judge me. Hey, judge people based on the content of their character. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think it was good too to 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 you know to have the the human side of it. You know, everybody talks about brokers like they're this this ogre, but <laughs> to have somebody that you know that that's nice to talk to and knows her crap and you know well spoken and you know I just think that uh, I just think that, that 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 she represents her 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 trade very very well. Absolutely, you know, uh, she should be a spokesman for brokers of the of the world. You know, um, because I think if more people understood. You know, but, you know, we, we, I don't know, the cynicism in me still comes out, though. You know, when you deal with guys that don't have a clue what their mm -hmm. cost per mile is and they think that fuel mileage is, 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 a, is something that you shouldn't worry about, those are basic premises of being in business. And if you don't understand that, no, nothing else matters, you know. And, and, if, and as long as there's going to be people that are desperate, and right now we have a bunch of them that drive trucks, they have to find a scapegoat. They have to find somebody else who they can blame it on because it's damn sure not their fault. You know, mm -hmm. no, and, they'll blame um, everybody on planet and, and, earth. And, except and we're themselves. not, we're not going to change that. Uh, all we can do is wait for them to go out of business. I heard a, uh, a figure the other day that 2000, um, um, authorities are, are being, um, revoked every day. Really? That's the By current what, rate. FMC, FMC. Well, say? yeah, they're you know they're being dissolved or oh, oh or just just yeah oh, okay yeah yeah okay. they're not, just not being, they're, they're going away. But they're, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're voluntarily, uh, I guess, closing them up. Two thousand a day. Yeah. So uh, at that clip, we might get we might get there. You know, sooner than later. So well, you hear the stories, you know, and we're seeing them now where some somebody jumped into business in 2020, 21, and they bought a bunch of trucks and they hired a bunch of drivers. And now they've gotten to this point and the drivers aren't getting paid. And, you know, that sucks. It, it sucks. Um, but just like we, this is not new. This is not the first time we saw it in 2009. Uh, Aero trucking was, was bought by some venture capital firm and those venture capital firms will come in and buy these trucking companies because they're cash cows. And the very minute there's a sign of trouble, they will cut the fuel cards off, shut it down and liquidate. Well, if you're the driver of that truck, that sucks. Right. But you have a responsibility to yourself and your family to know who you're working for, you know. And guys, let's be honest: if you're working for slime balls, there's going to be signs. Yeah, there's going to be signs that you're working for dirt balls, uh, uh, or you know, Simpsons. banana peels and meatballs. Uh, <laughs> so that's well, I never look at a Cheeto the same. Okay. <laughs> uh, this. Um, by the way, this story came up again in a different magazine this week. I think I talked about it last week. You know, the guy who's uh, who had his own customer, 
and they um, they 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 notified all the carriers that they were going to have to cut the rate. And he um, decided he was going to go argue his case, you know, and, and he went in and successfully convinced them because of his success. I mean, all of his his, um, uh, his consistent, you know, good service and everything. They agreed to not cut his rate, to let him stay on at the same rate he'd been on, even though they cut everybody else's. And so what did he do? Went out and ordered a brand new truck with a custom paint job after he, after he kept that frame. So that just goes to show you. You know, what this that's what you're dealing with as a business person in the trucking industry, unfortunately. And I know I'm painting everybody with a wide brush, but my God, how many thousands of people have we talked to? And oh. uh, and how many of them don't fit the mold? You know, a handful. So, <clears throat> yeah. Well, folks, two hours and 15 minutes, and other than a couple minutes at the beginning, we haven't had any technical gremlins. So. What happened to you, by the way? Where'd you go? I don't know why well, that second video hers was just playing the sound cut off. And I'm like, Oh, what happened? And I had to yeah. read, I had to like force quit my browser. To now, get I want it everybody to, to notice now who had the technical problems tonight, not the old geezer, not, not the, uh, not, not the boomer that has trouble with technology. Okay. My nose is itching. I, I see it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'd be itching. So, uh, anyway, so turnabout's fair play. So you techno, um, troubled. Anyway, yeah. how about I? I haven't had dinner. Can we call it tonight? We can, uh, because I'm, 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 <laughs> my eyeballs are floating. Um, all right. So I, next, I did, next I did week, have, I did have a glass of Blanton's night. Did you notice that? I did not. Yeah. Um, next week we are going to have a guest, uh, Michael Lombard, Lombard Trucking. He's also on TikTok. Uh, fantastic guy, um, owner operator. We're just going to talk about being an owner operator because he, uh, he, he stirred up the hornet's nest on TikTok because, you know, he's leased to a carrier, I think Warren transport and people are, Oh, you're not a real owner operator. Uh, but he's a successful owner operator, funny guy, engaging, has a great TikTok channel. So he's going to be our guest next week on Friday night at eight o'clock. So, uh, I think with that, we'll see you then, everybody. I think, I think that we had some new people tonight because of her, because she had announced mm-hmm. that she was going to be on here tonight. So you guys that are, that are first time here, uh, check us out. We're, we're a small fleet, Lisa Landstar. We're a mentoring fleet. We don't hire truck drivers to come here and work. We hire uh, company drivers who want to come here and learn the business of trucking so you don't have these problems that we've talked about all night. Right. Uh, so we've got 150-some episodes. Pick out a few of them. We'd love to have you come back and join us on a regular basis. Uh, BlueRibbonLogistics.com is our website. And uh, thanks for being here tonight, and we hope we'll see you again. Okay? All so, right. See everybody next week. All right. Good night, everybody.